This program has references to family violence, men's violence, and violence in general. Please take care and turn off the podcast if it is triggering for you. People impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732, a 24-hour national sexual assault, domestic and family violence counseling and support service. This podcast is recorded as part of Safer Pathways Project in Prevention of Violence Against Women, funded through the Australian Government's Department of Social Services. The views presented in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the funder nor of MCWH. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I pay my respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging, and I acknowledge that as migrants to this country we benefit daily from the displacement of Aboriginal people and colonization of their land. Hello, I'm Vahide from Multicultural Centre for Women's Health and you're listening to Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women project that aims to help migrant and refugee women living in regional areas that are experiencing or at risk of family violence and sexual assault to access support services. Why do we say migrant and refugee at MCWH? There are lots of terms that people use to talk about migrant and refugee communities. At MCWH, we use the term migrant and refugee to describe anyone living in Australia who was born overseas or whose parents or grandparents were born overseas in a predominantly non-English speaking country. We say migrant and refugee to highlight the impacts of migration and settlement process on women's health and well-being. It reminds us that the barriers we face are mostly because of systems and policies, not because of cultures or countries we come from. In this episode, I will be talking to Rodney Vlace on the importance of looking at patriarchal structures in violence against women. Rodney is a psychologist and men's behavior change supervisor and trainer who has worked for over 15 years in helping to improve programs that engage men who cause family violence harm towards the safety and well-being of women, children and others affected by men's violence and controlling behaviors. Rodney, thank you for accepting our invitation to be here today. No, thank you, Vahida. Really, really pleased to, to be able to contribute and to share some thoughts. Thank you. Rodney, uh, patriarchy is mainly described as men control and men's power, and it is a social system and exists in all cultures and communities. But I'm very interested to know what comes to your mind when you hear patriarchy. Hmm. I think, Wahida, I think the way that you've described it as it really affecting almost every aspect of our life is is so so accurate you know patriarchy is both insidious uh, and also quite really blunt and, and, and blatant in how it shapes things for all of us I guess for me particularly when I think about the work that I've done with men who choose to use family violence but also more generally thinking about, you know, men in relationships, um, uh, men that I've known throughout my, my life or many of the men that I've known throughout my life. 
It's been around in part the expectations, that their expectations of of what they should and shouldn't do, what their partner should and shouldn't do, what their role is, what their partner's role is, what ways of contributing to family life they prioritise or don't prioritise, what bits of work that goes into family life they see or don't see or value or don't value. And that, for me, one of the ways that patriarchy works in this is that these expectations that, that men have are held not just as a hope, but often as a rule or as a taken-for-granted truth. Uh, expectations that aren't really negotiated with their partner or with other family members, but are just assumed. Uh, expectations not just about who does what housework, but things like the emotional labour or the emotional work in the, in the family. Um, expectations about who might be mindful and thinking about how their children are travelling emotionally or in their friendship networks or in their social networks. Expectations about who uh, reaches out to support others in their community or in, in their family. Expectations about space, about what things men feel that they've got the right to do without needing to ask or to, to negotiate. So I often see patriarchy working in ways that mean that, you know, men not necessarily are just holding hopes and negotiating those hopes with others, but tend to believe some things as quite hard and fast rules and, and just see that as the way that things are and act on those rules without necessarily an awareness of the impact of those assumptions and beliefs on, on others. How do you think uh, this affects the gender roles in different communities? Do you see difference in different communities, how it affects the gender roles? I think in answering this, I need to locate myself as being of, you know, basically European background. My my father was born in the former Yugoslavia. My mum here um, in, in Western Australia, based on a, you know a British ancestry. So uh, my response to this will be shaped by some of the the cultures that I have grown up. In and what that means for how I see the world and, and, and my blind spots to a range of different cultures. I think every culture has things that, you know, we in our cultures are looking to guard, things that are precious for us, values, ways of being, ways of weaving community together, uh, things that we want to pass down in the generation through generations, how we see respect how we build community, uh, values around spirit and religion. I think one of the things that I do find is that each culture, the way the patriarchy works in different cultures is that some of those ways that we tend to guard things within our cultures become very fixed, become very fixed in a way that solidify gender inequalities. Uh, you know, every culture is living, every culture is changing. Every culture is both has incredibly important and precious tradition, but also needs to adapt and to change. And I guess I find in just about every culture, one of the ways that patriarchy works is that particular stories about what men should do and what women should do, particular stories around what men have the right to and what women may not have the right to, 
uh, particular stories about the different spaces that men might take up and that women might take up or what their roles tend to become quite fixed. Uh, and those stories, in just reflecting on my own culture and, and Christianity struggle with patriarchy, how much of that is actually part of a living, breathing culture that we all negotiate together versus particular rules and privileges and entitlements that yeah, are set by men and that reinforce patriarchy. And so for me, I'm really interested in what conversations do we have about how we both value tradition, value what we guard ferociously in our culture and don't want to lose. That can be a threat, but in a way that's not used as an excuse to maintain gender inequalities. It's not used as an excuse for men to just keep maintaining the privileges of, you know, whether that be not needing to cook, whether that be of only being able to operate in particular spaces that women aren't supposed to be in, uh, of uh, men being able to control decision-making within the family. Uh, that's a lot of where my interest is. How can we focus on preserving culture, but in a way that doesn't use as an excuse to uh, further entrench quite significant gender inequality. And exactly, uh, culture is not an excuse uh, to use violence. Uh, and you just said that's your interest. And it's interesting for me to know that, uh, do you uh, have any answers to that? How can we preserve culture and traditions and some of the things that uh, the communities or people believe in, but still uh, prevent gender inequality or violence? Yeah, I think it's a it's a very important question and and one that you know I don't have any any easy answers to. I think one of the important things around that is is who is contributing to to this? So when decisions need to be made about who attends what events or who does the preparation for a birthday party or for a cultural gathering, or who will look after the children during that time, or who will take time off from work in order for that to happen, or who will make what decisions about, you know, who to invite, or how is that actually, who has a voice in that? Who has a voice in actually being able to enter into the discussion around how do we not use this as an excuse to just fall behind very stereotypical gendered roles, but also really value what's important for us in, in our culture? And for me, this is just often not talked about. It's just assumed. It's just assumed that men will do particular things, women will do particular things. It's just assumed that if women move out of the territory that's set for them and try something different, that they're being not a good woman in our culture or that they're being disrespectful rather than them exercising maybe more of some of their freedoms and ways that they want to expand. Uh, we're not having conversations around if we want a society where there's more space for women to move into, into different areas of their lives, to not be boxed in in some very traditional ways. 
then what does that mean for the space that men can move into? What's in it for men to be doing more direct care for children? Uh, what's in it for men to not have to fall behind toxic masculinity? What's in it for men to be able to become happy in ways which is not just about financially providing, et cetera, et cetera? You know, there's, there's opportunities here for, for men. Uh, so for me, it's about how we have these conversations and how we value women's voices, women's thoughts, how we make it safe for women to contribute their views, because otherwise it's so easy for women and children when they're wanting to try to negotiate this stuff, for them to just be criticised as not respecting culture, uh, rather than their voices being heard and being part of an equal negotiation of how we value culture, tradition, spirit, the values, but in a way that enables men to be more well-rounded uh, people uh, and also for women to not be boxed in in the ways that many women still are because of patriarchy. And we know that patriarchy is in different levels in the society. It is in family, in the communities, and in a society as well. Um, can you please think of some of the policies and systems in the society that we live in, for example, in Australia, that may reinforce patriarchy? Mm, totally. And I think one way of thinking about this is looking through uh, the lifespan of influences that that uh, everybody uh, is exposed to, you know, almost right from uh, from from birth. Uh, so, if we look, for example, in in schools, and despite you know schools' best attempts to create you know equal opportunities for boys, girls, and for others who don't identify as um, as gender binary. Um, by the time, by the age of five or six, even a little bit earlier than that, three or four, we're still finding children falling into fairly stereotypical roles, whether that be particular colours that, um, that they prefer, whether that be about pressures and expectations to be more or less adventurousness, whether it be how children are seen if they're loud oh, he's just a boy, he's just expected to be loud, whereas she's being disrespectful if, if she's being, being loud. So, you know, in part, there are, there are influences from a very, very early age that's fed through by, you know, by media, by television, uh, by expectations on, on boys and, and girls from a, a very early age. There's what we see in terms of who has power, you know, who has most of the, the power, uh, a political power or economic power or who's head of corporations. Um, so there's, there's those processes and policies and structures which are obviously maintaining inequalities where the, the amount of effort that women um, need to go through in order to obtain a position of power in a company or in our parliament is often far, far, far greater than what men need to go through. Um, because all the way along, there are so many insidious processes where if a woman succeeds, it's being put down to luck or she's valued because of her looks rather than her intelligence. Where um, if a woman says something or a man says something, 
um, he will be seen as more intelligent than her, whereas for her, she'll be valued and seen in different ways than, than through, uh, through her intelligence. There's uh, the sexist comments that, um, even those benevolent sexist comments that occur so often in our society, um, are those little put downs of, of, of women. Um, there's a ways in which women are still sexualized in, in pornography and in pop music where there's still so many ways in which women's bodies are being used to, um, to sell. And there are so many things in our society that value some things and not others, that value competition, that value aggression, uh, that don't value care or community. When you look at how little aged care workers or child care workers are paid compared to the pay of other professions, which is more much about competing, much more about, you know, winning over other companies or about growth or about expansion. Economically, uh, communities of care or looking out for each other uh, are just paid so much less and valued so much less, which partly explains the gender pay gap. So, you know, I think I've rambled across a wide range of things here, but unfortunately, patriarchal processes are just reinforced in so many different ways from what children observe as they, as they develop to what they see their mothers and their fathers take responsibility for or not responsibility for, um, how they're modelled into how they should be girls or they should be boys, right through to very big picture structural inequalities where uh, power uh, is still kept largely by men and that the uh, things that women and particularly women of colour need to go through in order to go into positions of power, um, there's so many barriers in, in those ways. You are listening to Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women and children project. We are back and we are talking to Rodney Vellis on patriarchy structures in communities. Rodney, one of the consequences of a patriarchy society is men's entitlement. And I think you mentioned it. So society is telling men that you are entitled to use violence and control. And this often leads to coercive control and abuse and violence towards women and children in a family. In consultation with family violence service providers in Making the Links project, family violence services report that their unfamiliarity with how patriarchal structures function results in not being able to support victim survivors to the best of their ability. This is really, really interesting for me because uh, it actually affects their ability to be able to support victim survivors. So how important it is to understand patriarchal structure in family violence response in terms of risk management? Yeah, Fahid, I, I believe this is really critical because one of the the important shifts that we still really need to make as a society is moving away from a focus on, well, why does she put up with it? Why doesn't she leave? And trying to shift away from those questions, those really victim-blaming questions towards, well, why doesn't he stop what he's doing? You know, we're still really focused on 
on victim survivors, on women and children who are experiencing violence and the choices they make or don't make rather than putting the focus on, well, what's enabling men to continue using violence and coercive control? And this is where links with patriarchy is so strong. Um, we, part of patriarchy is doubting women's intelligence, doubting women's experiences. Um, part of patriarchy is falling on the side of, of believing men. Part of patriarchy is seeing women as, as deficient, as, well, there must be something wrong that they're doing, uh, that there must be something that they're, they're doing to tick him off or aggravate him. The, the sexism and the patriarchy leads women to be interrogated, women to be questioned, women to be second doubted. And of course, when there's so much of those pressures and messages, then women and victim survivors they you know, start to doubt themselves rather than an outrage directed towards well, why are men entrapping and controlling women and frightening and terrorizing them so understanding family violence and understanding why women make the choices that they make is critical for supporting women and children and I guess helping women and children to have more faith in the services and supports that are available. You know, if a woman has tried to reach out for help, but she's been told to, well, it must be something that she's doing or it's not that bad or that if it was really bad, she would have left by now, it's going to make it not very likely that she's going to reach out for help again. If she sees within her community efforts, sometimes very well-meaning efforts, but nevertheless, efforts to resolve, in inverted commas, conflict within families through mediators coming in and trying to sort problems out when she knows it's, it's not about conflict. It's not about a dispute. It's about her being afraid and terrorised and her life being controlled by him. But if she sees family violence issues being handled as a relationship issue, as a conflict issue rather than the focus being put on, well, what help and support does he need to change his behaviour and how can she be supported to stay safe? She may not go for help anywhere. So the social responses to family violence within communities is vital and all communities to some extent, unfortunately, still see this as a relationship issue, as as a fight between couples or between families, rather than understanding the crux of the matter, that it's about generally a man who is using his power that comes with that entitlement and privilege of being a man to get his way. And that doesn't mean that he isn't struggling himself or that he isn't depressed or that he hasn't got a lot of difficulties in himself that he's working through. But the privilege comes in the choices he makes. You know, if he is feeling jealous or angry or frustrated, part of that privilege that many men have and take is in order to feel better, they will blame their partner. So if he's feeling insecure about things, if he's finding it difficult to trust his partner, um, if he has some worries and fears, rather than him taking responsibility to work that out himself, um, he will blame his partner for making him feel jealous uh, and believe it's her that's causing him to have these feelings and 
for him, he then starts to see himself as a victim and that he's been treated unfairly by her. And then he believes he's got the right to start controlling her, controlling her movements uh, to, in inverted commas, stop her from making him feel jealous. And, you know, this is the crux of many of men's choices to use violence and, and control, uh, making use of their privilege, making use of their power to choose violence, choose controlling behaviours because they don't like how they're feeling. And it's easier for them to blame her and then to try to control her for what she is doing wrong in his eyes rather than him taking responsibility for his own behaviour and realising that, well, his partner is probably just wanting to have normal friendships and that he's the one with a problem of insecurity and jealousy and that that's something that he needs to take responsibility for anymore. So there are a whole lot of reasons why it's very difficult sometimes for women to leave, why they may worry about their children, while they might feel that it's going to really affect the relationship between their extended family and his extended family. I think folk, the patriarchy keeps us drawn to why doesn't she leave? If it was really bad, she would get out rather than that focus on what's enabling him to keep using fear and terror and to control her world and to reduce her space for action so that he can keep getting his way. Why are we allowing that to keep happening? And why are we pretending that this is a relationship issue rather than an issue about his behaviour. Um, I think the final thing that I'll say with that, my apologies, Wahida, I've you know, answered this question in, in, in <laughs> very lengthy circles, is that there still is an opportunity for men and it's something that I've come back to earlier. In my work with men who've chosen to use family violence, you know, I haven't met too many that are really happy about their lives, happy about how things are going. This behaviour is real consequences for men as well. And I think there really is, there genuinely is some opportunities, not just for men who are using violence, but men more generally to have a think about, am I in a, am I in a bit of a man box? Am I just taking for granted particular things that I should or shouldn't do? And, and am I having setting some rules here? not just rules for my partner, but rules for myself. And does that mean I don't know my children as well as I could? Do my children tend to, to go towards my partner rather than me when they're upset because my partner's doing more of the emotional work than me and do I want that to continue to happen? Is there some sadness there? Do I know my children as well as I could? So I think there are real opportunities here for men's fulfilment. Uh, that doesn't mean abandoning culture or betraying the things that we guard against or guard with so intensely. But I think there are opportunities to negotiate being, you know, more wider, more varied men. Uh, and I think it's part and parcel of understanding, listening to women more, hearing women's views, and us not taking up so much space in ways that prevents women from yeah, leading fulfilling lives. Thank you, Rodney. I think you mentioned really great points there about uh, promoting healthy masculinities and women leadership as well. Uh, it's uh, very important to hear women voice 
what is their cultural background. It's important to hear their voice, their values, their beliefs, and also understand what uh, masculinities and gender role might mean in their culture to be able to uh, understand the uh, social structures of that culture. Do you agree? You know, I think on the one hand, there is something perhaps positive that he did do there around, you know, listening to a woman's voice and, and, and experience. Uh, yet at the same time, there are things that men, I think, need to do and work out a bit for ourselves rather than always waiting to hear women's views and women's stories. And, and I think women are, are rightly just utterly fed up uh, with trying to get men to understand the terror that occurs in in some of what they're experiencing or, or how common domestic and family violence is uh, or, or what, did that, what did that exactly means to be a victim survivor. Um, so I think there is some very understandable impatience that women have given how long it's taking for men to understand how intense um, and how vital this, this issue is. But at the same time, Part of, part of trying to decrease patriarchy is for men to start to look at, well, how much space um, is being taken up? How much space are we taking up in a meeting? How much space are we taking up at home? How much space are we taking up in making decisions about things? How much space are we, we taking up uh, in a physical space? How much space are we taking up in terms of our needs? And you know, how much time as a man have I spent today thinking about my needs versus wondering about my partner's needs? And the more space that men take up, the less space there is for women to be able to have that voice, to take that leadership role that you're talking about, Raida. And if the space is dominated by men, if we're always putting our needs forward, if we're always putting our thoughts forward, if we're always... Uh, talking about what we think, then women have to take stronger and stronger actions to try to take up some space. And again, with our patriarchy, it means that women are criticised for being disrespectful, unruly, uh, rebellious, uh, for not being a woman. Because if they have few opportunities to exercise leadership, if their voices aren't heard, then women have to be louder, have to shout more, have to be more intrusive, because no one wants to just be boxed in as a doormat and be completely unseen and for their experiences to be invisibilized. So I think it's both about opportunities and about women's leadership and women's voices, but it, patriarchy is around men thinking about how much space do I take up in particular areas of my life? How much am I thinking about her and my children's needs and experiences and their preferences and what they're wanting? And are there particular areas of life that we're just not giving much attention to, like as I mentioned before, how our children are experiencing things or how my partner's feeling about our relationship at the moment. When's the last time that I thought about how well we're communicating or, you know, women will often think about that more. They do more of that emotional labour work and what does it mean for men to really not step up to the plate and take responsibility for those things? I think it's very important to understand that, as you said, patriarchy is... Uh 
you know, a universal issue. And you said that each one of us could play a role in promoting uh, healthy masculinities or how to avoid and prevent a, and reinforce patriarchal society. Uh, I think this directly impact reducing violence against women and children, as you mentioned too. Thank you, Rodney. We are at the end of our talk and I was wondering if there is anything that you would like to add. I think ending patriarchy or, or working towards decreasing patriarchy anyway does mean that boys and men taking risks. And it's so easy. And one of the ways that patriarchy works is that if boys or men try to do something that's a bit out of the man box, then they're immediately labelled as uh, gay. <laughs> they're immediately labelled as disrespecting our culture. You know, I think some of those ways in which men can so easily be criticised uh, um, in a culture which uh, doesn't value femininity, that doesn't value men stepping outside of the man box, that can still so easily criticise uh, people who might be seen as not heterosexual or not seen as gender binary. So, but I think in my experience, most boys and men, a bit fed up with a man box and are a bit fed up with how they're boxed in by masculinity. So I guess the final thing that I would I would say is, is really encouraging some discussion amongst boys and amongst men around, you know, what does it mean to be a man in our culture? What does it mean to hold our values? Uh, and are there particular pressures and ways of being a boy and a man which don't really fit with, with, with who I really want to be? I think there's some really important... Um, questions to encourage boys and men to reflect upon. Such a pleasure having you on this episode, Rodney. Thank you for listening to us. No problem. Thank you for the opportunity, Rahida. Really appreciate it. This was presented through Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women project coordinated by MCWH and funded by the Australian government's Department of Social Services. People impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732. A 24-hour national sexual assault, domestic, family violence counseling and support service. For help in your language, contact InTouch at 1-800-755-988 or visit intouch.org.au. They provide legal support no matter what your visa status is. For the men's referral service, call 1-300-766-491. Lifeline telephone 131114. Service is available 24-hour day for suicide prevention and crisis support. You can also get free translation support through TIS on 131450 and ask them to call any of these numbers for you.